You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Memory. I'm the bad man. I have been for a long time. That's three people likely killed with the same weapon. What's that? Found them on the floor. Your shooter's losing his mind. Anything else I can do for you? The room number again? It's on the key holder. Ah. The retainer for your services is $10 million. No. Call the contract off. I don't hurt children, ever. Listen to me very carefully. The girl stays alive. You're answerable to me. A 13-year-old been relocated to a group home. Was I here last night? Yes. What's wrong? You're sure. Hugo thinks it's a pro settling scores. Trafficking, Vincent Sierra. I can't keep doing your job for you. Who is this? You're too slow to make them pay. What they did to children. They're not doing anything about it. He's taking out the traffickers that we couldn't. He's interfering with an international investigation. You said he wasn't going to be a problem. I've done crazy things. Why don't you and I just have a talk? I know you're not well. No time for that. If I'm dead, you'll never know the truth. Stand down! I want to believe that you're a good man, Vincent. If I can't finish this, you have to. But they have to be punished. Which side of this do you really want to be on? I want justice. We all have to die. What's important is what you do before you go. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Memory, and the story is as follows. When Alex, an expert assassin, refuses to complete a job for a dangerous criminal organization, he becomes a target. FBI agents and Mexican intelligence are brought in to investigate the trail of bodies, leading them closer to Alex. With the crime syndicate and FBI in hot pursuit, Alex has the skills to stay ahead, except for one thing. He is struggling with severe memory loss, affecting his every move. Alex must question his every action and whom he can ultimately trust. The film is starring Liam Neeson, Guy Pearce, Monica Bellucci, Taj Otwell, Ray Fearson, and Harold Torres. It is directed by Martin Campbell and written by Dario Scardipane. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And also joining us from ILC.com, I have Mike McGranahan. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about the latest in a long line of Liam Neeson-led action thrillers. How many is it at this point? Like, nine? Eleven? I have no idea. I've lost count. Who knows? (laughs) Numerable. This is the second one this year, even. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, second one since February. Well, oh man, I I think that... There's very little to talk about with this one, but also a lot to talk about just kind of in the grander scheme of things as it pertains to Liam Neeson and his career and where he's at at this point. I seem to recall vaguely liking The Commuter. Like, I think I was mixed on it, if I remember correctly. I mean, everybody loves Taken, you know, for the most part. And it feels like ever since that movie, he's just been taking on these very generic, sometimes high-concept action-led roles where they're trying to capture that same lightning in a bottle that they had with the first Taken. And this movie is like Taken meets Memento, directed by the guy that did Casino Royale, Martin Campbell. So on paper, 
I mean, I talked to Josh about this before we both saw it. I was like, you know what? On paper, I'm at least curious. Like, I kind of know what I'm heading in for with this, especially given the distributor, the low marketing. Uh, <laughs> I should have known. I just should have known. Yeah. But, uh, all right, let's get into it. Mike, you're the guest here. We'll start off with you. Broad thoughts. What did you think of Memory? Well, you're right. Liam Neeson's made the same movie time and again over the last decade. A lot of actors return to their wheelhouse occasionally, but he seems to be living in his. And the thing that gets me is that these movies are not only the same, but his performance is identical in all of them. In this movie, he's once again playing that guy with a very particular set of skills who doesn't take any crap from anybody and relentlessly pursues the bad guys. And, and there's just nothing in his performance that's any different from... Uh, you know, Blacklight, which we saw a couple months ago, or Honest Thief or The Marksman or Taken. It's just him doing the exact same thing in movie after movie. And it's really become tiresome by this point. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of like, you know, Steven Seagal or any of those action movie like icons. It just seems like he's settling into that. But like the difference between like a, Syl a Sylvester Stallone and a Liam Neeson is that Liam Neeson started off as a dramatic actor and started taking these roles later on in his life as a career transition. And now it feels like he's just kind of collecting the paycheck, as it were, as opposed to putting any real, honestly, like any real effort into it whatsoever. Whereas guys like Schwarzenegger, Stallone and these other action stars, like they've been that way since the very beginning with a dramatic role or two here or there sprinkled in there somewhere. So... I feel like this transition is one that, like, he's given it a valiant effort. It's been over a decade at this point that he's been doing this. But I just think at this point, with this lackluster of an output, the experiment, the effort, whatever you want to call it, 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 it can be seen as a failure, I think, at this point. And it, I really think it is hurting his career and reputation now at this stage in his, uh, in his life. Yeah, you know what I wonder? We all kind of made fun of Bruce Willis for a long time for walking through a series of very low budget straight to vod movies and then we found out that he's got dementia and he was making these movies to continue working and bank some money for when he could no longer work anymore and i'm not saying that liam neeson has any kind of health issue like that but i'm wondering if there's some similar motive if there's some reason why he's taking all of these easy paycheck roles one after the other you know maybe something is going on that we don't know about i really think that it's just hoping and praying that one of these is going to be a box office success. And there is an audience out there for this type of film. You know, that that's a given. The action movie genre is the action movie genre, after all. And Liam Neeson in an action movie, like, there's just such fondness for Taken. I mean... <laughs> I never really thought it was like that extraordinary, but like people really love that movie. Yeah. And so he is just trying to recapture that every single time with each one of these films, hoping that one of them will work. And I do think that sometimes on paper, you look at the concepts for some of these movies like, you know, The Commuter or Nonstop or even this. And on paper, you go, yeah. That's a very intriguing concept. Mm -hmm. An assassin with memory issues. I, You know, memento meets taken, as I said before. You know, like I could get down with that from a pitch this in the script meeting process. But the end result is the end result here. Uh, Josh, I want to get over to you now. Uh, what did you think ultimately of memory? Well, as you have uh, established before, like this is 
another in a very long line of kind of tiresome movies we have known to come out of Liam Neeson. And knowing that it was the second one this year even did not really give me a lot of expectation walking into this film, to be completely honest. And you know what? I will actually say that I did not hate this movie as much as I thought I was going to. And maybe that was my expectations being in the basement for it. But I do think that the one thing that this movie has that I think his other films that have come out recently don't have is this Guy Pierce storyline that seems very like uh, parallel to whatever Liam Neeson is doing. I actually found a little bit more compelling. I think maybe that's just because Guy Pierce is just giving a more interesting performance than Liam Neeson is. He actually seems like he's trying <laughs> a little bit more. That's actually quite fascinating because I'm with you, Josh, in that when I first started watching this movie, the first 30 minutes or so, I was very confused uh, because I do think that the marketing for this movie has focused so much on Liam Neeson and not enough on Guy Pierce that it's actually quite jarring that once you start getting into the movie that this movie really belongs more to Guy Pierce than Liam Neeson at times. Yeah. I think he actually even has more screen time than him. There are, I would not be surprised if Guy Pierce is like, yeah, he has more screen time than Liam Neeson does. He actually feels more like the main character than Liam Neeson throughout most of this movie. And I think because I wasn't expecting that, that actually drew me in a little bit more. And that storyline also felt kind of like, almost like a throwback to 90s action thriller types and which is funny knowing that it's directed by martin campbell that kind of feels like it has that sensibility to it and i think because of that i was a little bit more intrigued with the overall story than i normally would be i still don't think the movie is great when it does focus on neeson it it really does come across as lackluster and sluggish and everything with him i never found to be all that interesting and the story is still very generic and not innovative at all but i didn't hate it i guess is the best thing that i can say about it it is just sort of more average than usual which i guess for liam neeson is an improvement but i i think that when it comes to the basic structure of it it's still not all that interesting but it isn't like so wildly incompetent like a lot of other Liam Neeson films are so th- that is a plus for it but not a, a you know not a high bar for it to clear certainly but I did not hate it is where I come down on the film see I'm going to disagree with you only on the the aspect of the way that this film is crafted uh both from the screenplay standpoint and Martin Campbell's direction you know there's a lot of mismatched cuts during the action sequences I think that the characters are so uninvolving, especially uh, all of the side cop characters that interact with Guy Pierce's character, Vincent, in this. And Monica Bellucci, she's like playing like this, I don't know, Jeffrey Epstein type, I guess, character, Yeah, I, I suppose. I, I'm not exactly... That's the thing is that like I was very confused watching this movie. I didn't know who the main character was, who the antagonist was, what the motivations were a lot of the time, and it felt like the movie was purposefully trying to confuse us the same way that, like, Memento did, also starring Guy Pierce, where it seemed like they wanted the audience to feel like Alex, but 
I don't even know at a certain point if that actually was the intention. And I just kind of chalked it up to, nah, this is very uninvolving and sloppy screenwriting. And the editing is also not helping with cutting back and forth between Nisa and Guy. Because I don't know who's the villain, who's the hero, who's trying to do what, why. Like, I, I was very confused for a majority of this movie. Like, until we settled into the third act, honestly. Well, I think that would make sense. The idea of kind of confusing the audience if... Liam Neeson was the only main character, which I kind of expected it to do. I actually thought we would get maybe more of that perspective of like, did he actually kill somebody or not? Is he pursuing the right person or is he confused about something? But, you know, like as you do, the father with murder and guns. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But the problem is that because he's not really the main character throughout most of this movie, we don't stick with his perspective. The film never plays into that actually interesting idea. And it never even really makes a case that like, yes, his memory loss is bad, but I don't really even feel like it impedes him all that much throughout the story. Like he gets shot a couple times and that seems to be a bigger roadblock to him than anything going on with his memory. It felt like a really missed opportunity despite kind of being the whole premise of the film. Yeah, I agree. He has what I call movie Alzheimer's, meaning the character has Alzheimer's, but he only shows symptoms of it when it's dramatically convenient for the story. You know, and it's not consistent. And they don't do enough with it. And then you get to the third act where all of a sudden out of the blue, he just takes a tremendous turn for the worst and can barely function. You know, and again, it's just so manipulative. They have a potentially interesting idea there, something to set it apart from Liam Neeson's other movies. And they completely bungle that. And and so you have half a movie that's terrible. And I agree with everything you guys have said about Guy Pearce. I wish the whole movie had been about his character. He's interesting in that storyline. kind of goes to some cool places with him fighting the bureaucratic red tape. He wants to just go in and get the bad guys and his superior officer is kind of pulling him back a little bit. That's interesting. The stuff with Alex and the Alzheimer's is just so inconsistent and so poorly done. So you have this really odd mix of two movies that have nothing to do with each other, but have somehow been mashed together. You've watched them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads... But this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. 
Yeah, I, I think that's a good way of explaining it. It does feel like two different movies and the cross-cutting of going back and forth between them. It just feels like two different tones. Uh, and also, it, it just was... I, I, I already said it was confusing, but I think the more cardinal sin here is that it was very uninvolving. Like, there was nothing from a filmmaking or performance or technical aspect that was gripping me into this story. And this movie, you know... This movie could have been kind to us. This movie could have been anywhere between 80 and 90 minutes. No, this movie's pushing the two-hour uh, time limit here. So to have this uninvolving of a story with these characters that are all not that interesting outside of Guy Pierce, I just don't think that this movie warranted this much of a slog of a runtime. No, and it definitely feels like at certain points it kind of is spinning its wheels a little bit because the story itself actually is not that complicated like if you actually looked at it from point by point just the plot progression of it it's kind of a thin story in terms no, no, of no. i agree with you that it's actually like not an overly complicated plot but i think the fact that it is disinteresting and unengaging hurt my overall like involvement with interacting with the film if you will like i found myself drifting you know and losing focus because the movie like the filmmaking was just not it was just not there. Yeah, I think that there are like so many characters that get introduced to this thing that you don't really have an interest in. And I agree that a lot of times the writing and the filmmaking are not like exceptional. I think also at the same time for me that, I don't know, like the Guy Pierce stuff, it's not like the best thing in the world. But I guess considering the genre and the type of movie that we're in, the fact that I could lean in ever so slightly to what Guy Pierce was doing. I, I think that is like the one saving grace about it is, and again, not that I think Guy Pierce is giving an exceptional performance, but he's doing more in here to create an actual like character out of what he's doing than anybody else in this movie. So I do give him credit at least for that. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Like I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you on that. So, so much. Um, I just found this overall to be a massive disappointment on a lot of levels, especially because, we know Martin Campbell is capable of so much more. Like, heck, forget about, like, the movies that he did in the 90s, like Goldeneye or Mask of Zorro. I even thought The Foreigner with uh, Jackie Chan wasn't all that terrible most recently. Um, the Protégé that uh, came out last year also wasn't, like, this terrible, in my opinion, either. You know, so, like, he's had some good films in there. Of course, Casino Royale is probably, like, his crowning jewel of action filmmaking and just a good story and everything just perfectly coming together. I don't know if he'll ever top that necessarily, but like I expected so much more like the action set pieces in this movie, not a single one is memorable and Liam Neeson himself, like having to come across as this physically imposing character. I know that he doesn't get like too, too physical in this. Like a lot of it is more shooting than anything, but even that, like, I'm sorry, but a bunch of guys pointing guns and shooting. I need a little bit more in a post-John Wick world now to be impressed. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think that that would have helped. And also a stronger villain would have helped. I think that speaks to your point about the movie being kind of uninvolving because we don't really know much about the Monica Bellucci character. And, you know, and here's an actress who was a very big sex symbol in Italy. And then when she came over here to this country... And she's in this movie, and it's like she can't decide whether she wants to play her character as evil 
or play her as sexy, and she tries to do both, and the character's underwritten, so neither thing works. And then you have all of this action as Liam Neeson's character is trying to get to her and bring her down, and we just don't care because she's not interesting, and the action, as you said, is really inferior to stuff that we've grown accustomed to seeing in stuff like John Wick and Nobody and some of those other films. So, uh, you know, Martin Campbell has done some good stuff, but I, I think he really needs a good script in order to come alive and he just doesn't have one this time absolutely yeah i mean can either one of you name a single action set piece in this movie that stood out to you uh the scene in the gym was really the only thing where where liam neeson takes out a guy who's walking on a treadmill and he shoots him from outside (laughs) through the window and then the guy goes flying off the treadmill and his headphones are left dangling that was kind of amusing but certainly not anything that uh, would make me stand up and cheer yeah and even that moment is like suppose you know it is played on a lower register you know it's not meant to be bombastic that's the reason why it's kind of memorable is that it is so not subtle but it's very like direct in how the violence is and i think that's the reason why it stands out and yeah like the action sequences are not amazing at all you know like there's that shootout in the parking garage that you know it's it's not great it's competent enough but I think that's sort of the tone with most of this movie, which at the same time is kind of a step in the right direction for most of Liam Neeson movies. You know, if you look at the <laughs> entire pantheon, being competent is already a massive improvement like <laughs> from most of his other stuff. So and I think that it is very much true that Martin Campbell needs a good script in order to make a good movie. He kind of needs the foundation to be good as well. And But at the same time, I think that he is, like, capable of at least knowing how to put a scene together. It's funny that when I started watching this movie, I actually did not know that this was directed by Martin Campbell until I saw his name at the end credits. So, yeah, so I didn't even have that expectation. See, and now I thought that that was a selling point for you, Josh. Nope. Nope. (laughs) I did not even know that. I had no idea that this was directed by Martin Campbell, which didn't sort of explain why some parts of this sort of felt a little throwback to me. Like... Mostly the stuff with Guy Pierce that felt like something I would see out of some crime movie from like the late 90s or early 2000s, which makes sense because that's when Martin Campbell was doing his best work. And I don't think the movie like steers into that and effectively enough for me to be like wholly entertaining. But I could see that sensibility of somebody who kind of is trying to make this movie with sort of an old school style to it. I think it's just unfortunate that because the screenplay is so boring and uninteresting you can't really build that much from it but you know i i just walked away from the movie feeling like this isn't terrible i can understand there's like slightly more ambition going on but the like i said the foundation of the screenplay just is not there for it to be successful i want to be very clear too that i understand that liam neeson has done other movies between taken and now that do remind us that there is a good actor in there somewhere. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of stuff like Silence. Um, his voice work on a Monster Calls is still great, in my opinion. Uh, Widows is another example. You know, he did some movies that people didn't really see recently, like Made in Italy um, or Ordinary Love more recently. But his last, I think, like five movies, Honest Thief, The Marksman, The Ice Road, Blacklight, and now Memory. And I see on his upcoming uh, schedule here, he's got two other movies, Retribution and Marlowe. 
which is going to be him playing Philip Marlowe. Um, if, if you know, mm. I'm sure you were able to connect the dots on that one. I don't know how I feel about that, but OK, <laughs> that might be a little bit different, obviously. But like when I see a title uh, called Retribution, I'm just like, oh, boy, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's not going to stop. It's nonstop. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's really unfortunate. Did um, I, this is a bit of a tangent, but did you see Cold Pursuit? You know, I actually um, sadly missed that. Um, wait, did I see it? Hold on, I'm about to be mixing that up with um, the the Ice Road. Yeah, I know they they all kind of blend together. I you know what I I, I, I don't think I did because I don't remember it. Okay, well I just want to mention it because Cold Pursuit is one that to me fits into this genre just based on the premise, but actually like played more like a black comedy, and I actually really enjoyed that one a lot more than I was expecting to because it sort of subverted my expectation a little bit. And so, and I bring it up just to mention that there is room for Liam Neeson to be in these types of movies that can actually be kind of clever and interesting in their writing, even though the premise may seem really basic. Like there is potential for that to happen, but you need to put in the work for it. And for so many of these movies, it just feels like himself and the filmmakers just don't put in the effort to make them anything more than just the very generic movies that they're initially formed to be. And I think that's what's frustrating about it. And I do think that Martin Campbell is a filmmaker who is capable of making things more interesting, but he also is not backed up by the material here either. And you know what? We're doing our 2012 retrospective right now. I'll say that, like, you know, a film that's more attuned to my tastes, uh, that was a Liam Neeson, quote unquote, action movie. (laughs) But a lot of people would disagree with that statement. Uh, The Grey, I think, is a great example of utilizing Liam Neeson both as an action star leading man, but also a character driven story uh, where it shows the depth of his range. And I just wish that, you know, he would tap into that more often. That's all. Especially with a role like this in memory, like there was a real opportunity here for him to play it in a way that could have been utterly heartbreaking, especially considering like he's too is at that, you know, age in his life where, you know, he could start developing uh, issues such as that. He's 69 years old here. Uh, But I don't know. A lot of people seem to think that, you know, at some point or another, he might start to slow down. He might stop doing these movies. It doesn't seem like he is. I do think that he is taking ones that are less physically demanding, but he's still making movies where he has to be a guy that pulls a trigger at least. Yeah, that's a good point. He's not as as physically active in this one as he was in some of his earlier films. I hadn't thought about that. But now that you mention it, there's there's some truth there. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, all right. I think at this point, you know, we can get to final thoughts here. Uh, if there were like any memorable moments, scenes, things you want to reiterate, things that we didn't talk about. Mike, I pass the floor over to you. Any final thoughts on Memory? Memory is one of those movies that will pop up on cable and people will be flipping around and they'll say, did I see this one? Which one is this? And they won't be able to tell <laughs> which Liam Neeson movie it is. And it's it's really just that forgettable. So kind of ironic that a movie called Memory is something that we're all going to forget. Yep. Yep. Pretty much. I mean, it's so easy to make that pun, but it's really true. It's completely and utterly forgettable. It is true. Yeah. Josh Parm. <laughs> yeah, this is a total uh, what I would call a TNT movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, the only other thing that I would mention is that maybe to me, the most ridiculous thing in this movie is that a character played by Monica Bellucci would have a son named Randy. 
That is <laughs> that was just that honestly took me out. No, she does not have a son named Randy. That took you out. Okay. <laughs> All right. What do I have here? I do like how this movie starts off where I'm thinking, oh, Liam Neeson is playing a doctor. Nope, he is not. <laughs> And with that first kill, this movie really establishes itself early on as being actually a hard R, brutal movie. Um, I actually did not know heading into this what the rating was. Was it PG-13? Was it rated R? I, I had no idea. So right from the very beginning with that piano wire, I was like, nope, this is a R-rated film, all right. <laughs> I was like, look at that blood. Which feels like yeah. it's something else we don't really get that often anymore. Like another no. thing that was very popular back in the day, but like the hard R-rated action movie – is fewer and far between currently. But I think that goes to show you, though, how commercially unviable Liam Neeson-led action films have become, where the budgets have gotten smaller and they're not being released by as large of a studio. I mean, this is, what was this, Open Road and Briarcliff, right? And I think they also did Blacklight? They did, yeah. So... You know, maybe this is just a trend now where, all right, Liam, you know, these movies are not getting the critical reception, the audience reception that they used to. Not to mention, it's just a really kind of shitty time right now for theatrical releases all around. So I can see how, all right, we'll make the budget smaller. And you know what? Let's just go hard R, you know, because what's the point of making a PG-13 movie and making these concessions if people are going to show up to see it anyway? Yeah, I mean, this is also the type of movie where, yeah, the the budgets are relatively small. They probably pre-sell it to a bunch of international territories, too, and make a small profit at the end of the day. And that's why these types of movies keep getting churned out. And, I mean, at the end of the day, it's still a brand, essentially, a Liam Neeson action movie. And brands do sell better than original ideas, unfortunately. So I can understand why they keep making them. But I think we are kind of getting to a point where... It's just like the audience out there is now getting aware of it. And with nothing to really separate these movies, they all just feel the same. It it seems like maybe we are kind of hitting a point where hopefully they will slow down a bit because there's just nothing to distinguish them at all. And that is the the biggest issue with them. It's not even just that they're so bland in the filmmaking. It's just every story here just seems to be the same. And even this attempt to slightly have a variation of it is still not wholly successful. Uh, the scene where he shot, he has to pour the liquor on the wound, burns the wound with a lighter. Um, all I kept thinking was, did the bullet go out the other side? Is it still in there? <laughs> yeah. I, we didn't see an exit wound. <laughs> I was like, you're going through all this, but is that bullet still in there, man? Ah, <laughs> like, oh, geez. Um, I always cringe during those types of scenes in movies. Anytime anybody has to cauterize a, a wound, I'm just like, oh, it always gets to me. Yeah. Although I've never seen somebody set themselves on fire to cauterize. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, you've seen that before. <laughs> well, I've seen them having to cauterize it, but like actually like lighting their skin on fire. Like I expected him maybe to heat up the knife and press the blade against his skin. But to just see a huge flame on the wound, that <laughs> felt like. I think there was an easier way to do that, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe he forgot. <laughs> maybe <laughs> we're making this movie sound way more entertaining. than this. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Don't make that mistake. <laughs> but yeah, I laughed out loud at that scene. That that's so preposterous. Yeah, the other thing I was to say too is that Alex, the character's arc in this movie, is so anticlimactic that 
I was hoping that the final scene with him was kind of a fake out. And that's when I think the movie like really established at that point that it never was Alex's movie to begin with. It always was Guy Pierce's movie, but it's much easier to market a Liam Neeson led action film than I guess a Guy Pierce with Liam Neeson as a supporting character. I, I don't know. But like either way, I just found that whole part of the movie to be I I was already kind of disengaged anyway, but by that point I also was like, I just don't care. Like I'm like I, I don't I don't care about where this is going, how this is going to resolve itself. You know, the the little bit at the end end where justice is served, there's an alibi, people are in on it, so on and so forth. Like, is it clever? Not exactly. It's actually what you kind of expect to have happen in a movie such as this, I think. But at the same time, I just found myself just shrugging and just going, so what? So yeah, this is like probably one of the worst films I've seen this year, honestly. Just from a disappointment standpoint, I wouldn't go so far as to give it a 1 out of 10, which is our worst rating, but I'm not that far off. Like I'm giving this a 2 out of 10. Uh, It was just so bland, so generic, exactly what I expected in terms of how the story would play out where there isn't even really like like that compelling of a twist necessarily at the end to kind of jolt my excitement the performances weren't really that good outside of guy pierce and even then i wouldn't consider it a great performance but i would argue that he's at least trying i think neeson i don't even think he's trying i really think he's just phoning it in the entire time and collecting a paycheck along the way and the same goes for martin campbell i found no ingenuity no creative like insight into any of these action set pieces or how the story was told via the editing or anything that could have gotten us more involved in Alex's dementia. It just was sloppy filmmaking that was confusing, uninvolving, and so I'm giving it a 2 out of 10 overall. Mike, what about you? Um, I, to me, it was just kind of bland and unforget- or, um, unmemorable. I'd give it a 5 out of 10, but solely for Guy Pierce. All right, Josh? Uh... I think I'll give it a four out of 10, honestly. Like I didn't hate it as much as you did, Matt. And I actually thought it was slightly better than the other Liam Neeson movie that came out this year. It, I was going to say, maybe because I haven't seen Blacklight, that might be why. <laughs> yeah. And I think maybe you walked in with a little bit more higher expectations than I did. I think because of Blacklight, I just thought this is going to be absolutely terrible. So maybe that's playing into it as well. But I didn't hate it, but it's still not all that great. It is extremely forgettable still at the same time. But I think because of that Guy Pierce storyline, that made it a little bit more interesting. Not enough to really recommend it, but it's not quite as bad as his other movies, even though it's still not all that great. Now, the big question on my mind is, which is the worst double feature, Blacklight and Memory or The Marksman and the Ice Road? <laughs> I don't think I've seen those other two movies. <laughs> <laughs> We've gotten to a point where if it's, a, if it's a new Liam Neeson action film, we're very selective about which one we go see now no, at this got point. We've a finite amount of time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us here. We usually get to this point in the podcast and we talk about Oscar prospects, but there really is no need to do such a thing with that here. No, absolutely not. I will ask this, though. Do you think that at 69 years old and at this point in his career – Do you think that there is even the slightest possibility that Liam Neeson will deliver a performance that would bring him one more Oscar nomination at this point in his career? Oh, I hope so. I hope that some A-list director will come along and offer him a great script 
and get him out of this rut that he's in and remind him, because you look at Schindler's list, he was so brilliant in that. We know what he can do. I would love to see somebody like a Spielberg or a Scorsese or somebody, or even you know, someone like Tarantino come in and just write a part for him in a great movie and give him a chance to get out of this, this rut. I just wish his role in silence was a little bit larger. Like to this day, I'm always just like, damn it. If that role was any bigger, he could have gotten there. Possibly. Uh, I don't know. <sighs> I mean, I, I think that was a bigger problem with the movie's reception than it was necessarily the amount of time in the movie for him. Yeah. But I mean, I look at his career. Oh, man. And like the only thing I, I think his best performance is the gray in these last, yeah. you know, 10 years or so. Oh, absolutely. Well, but the gray is also not really in this pantheon like that's a survival movie that that's yeah. not like the typical action film so that's it is you know literally different than all these other ones so that it can be better it's also got a better filmmaker attached to that one too yeah and then before that i would say the next time that he had a performance that was anywhere close was kinsey yeah it's a good movie Oof, you gotta go Back quite a bit of ways, though. <laughs> no, exactly. So in a way, like, I, I hate to be this pessimistic, and I don't want to end it on this note necessarily, but, like, I really don't think we're going to get there with him at this point. No, I don't think so. I also think that all these movies have kind of tainted his brand, essentially, like, because it just feels like he's in this wasteland of these movies. Like, yeah, I get it. Like, he's almost 70 years old. You, you want to be comfortable in your old age, and if you could do these projects, like... They don't require that much effort. I totally get it. Like, I don't blame him necessarily for that, but it does mean that the general audience just sort of has an expectation of what these movies are. And I don't think that it's pretty high at the moment. Yeah, but like he could do stuff like, you know, I was saying, I was saying earlier, like Made in Italy or Ordinary Love, which came out, you know, recently Silence. Like he, he can take on these roles that are, in some cases leading, yes, but also supporting. And I, I don't know. Like, I, at this point, I don't know what he thinks is, like, the more challenging, uh, more demanding part of the job for him. Like, does he find these action films to be easier than giving layered character work in a performance that, you know, could rank amongst one of his best? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well... We'll see, but I, as you said, man, I'm not incredibly optimistic that that future of him getting another Oscar nomination is really in the cards. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us here today for our review of Memory on the Next Best Picture podcast. Tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. Yes, my website is The Isle Seat. The address is isleseat.com, and I'm also on Twitter at Seat. Thank you very, very much once again for joining us here. And Josh Parham, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.
This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.